Okay, we're going to be in part two of chapter eight of Luke. And in the beginning part of, uh, of part one of chapter eight, we'd seen again the appreciation of the Apostle Luke in, in covering so much ground of our Lord and Savior and everything that he was doing, from the parabolic teaching to the healing to the miracles. Luke really just covers so many aspects and he tries to give us everything, everything possible. Even in each chapter, there's just so much, so much richness to it. And again, that's why we had to do a part two message because of the size of the chapter and also just to cover the, the grounds, uh, for accuracy and for, um, and to focus on those particular things, to focus on uh, the last chapter or the last section of chapter 8 where the Lord himself was ministered by, by the women and, and taken care of uh, by, the, you know, by these women and stuff that the Lord had brought into the group. Mary Magdalene and Joanna, who was the wife of uh, uh, Chusa, who, um, who was Herod Stewart. There was another lady by the name of Susanna, who were very uh, influential women who actually helped care for the Lord and, and their provisions and so on and so forth. And, and so these women with the uh, other followers were the ones who were devout. So with that, in the beginning of chapter 8, that covered that section, but throughout the rest of this area, we covered the parabolic teaching. The parable of the sower, um, the purpose of parables, the, uh, again, the parable of the sower, which was explained, the par- parable of revealed light. And then at the end of the chapter, we'd seen where, where uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, and, and brothers had come uh, to see him. And as he was preaching to a multitude, they couldn't get to him because of the amount of people. Uh, so basically what had happened was is that uh, some of the guys came up to him and said, Hey, your, your mother and brothers are here to see you. And he was just like, Hey, my, bro- my mother and brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. My work here must be done. And, and so we have come to this point now to where the beginning of chapter 8, which was titled, Listen Closely. Okay, so we titled it Listen Closely because of the teachings that were given. Such powerful and such um, practical teaching of things. And I tell you, if we were to observe, and as Jesus said, that those who hear the word of God and do it, are those that are of him. And I'm telling you, if if we did more doing of what was being said in the in the teachings of our Lord and the teachings of the Word in general, where would we be? Where would we be right now? If 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 we had followed years ago what he had said. Now we're here right now, even in our states of where we're at, whether it be good or bad, we are here right now because of his grace and mercy. But now is the time to observe and to do what was said. And you cannot really see true results just by reading it and feeling good about it. You have to be able to put it into play. You must, we must be obedient to the word of God in order to know the richness and the fullness of what is being said. And so where we're going to observe today is we went through the, uh, the series of, of, or the title of Listen Closely. Now we're going to be seeing Watch Closely. See, there's two things, you know, that we that we could see about our Lord is that that those who watched him, they they seen and observed the things he did, and then those who listened to him, 
We must do both. You know, there's an old saying that more is cu- more is caught than it is taught. But with our Lord, it is an even 50% of each. Everything must be caught by him with what we see, and everything must be taught by him in order for what we hear, and, and then to follow his instruction. So let's take a look here as we go into part two of chapter eight of Watch Closely. And check this out here in verses 22 to 25. It says, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And then he rose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, but marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. You know, the revealing of the Lord, you know, it just keeps appearing with more power and more clarity. If you're familiar with the book of Psalms, okay, King David said to God himself in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 89, it said, which says, O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Now, to, to my understanding, because uh, I've never been there, but to my understanding, that the Sea of Galilee has some pretty rough storms in that area. And it's a pretty good-sized lake. Uh, it's about 13 miles long. And these guys here, Peter and John and all these, the rest of these guys, these were a bunch of experienced fishermen in that area. And most likely they've hit some storms. But this particular one really caught their attention. It was probably the worst one they've ever experienced. Uh, to the point where the boat was actually flooding. And, and trying to picture this event, you know, and, and the noise of the storm, you know, the disciples yelling in fear uh, to get water out of the boat. And then during all the noise and commotion, here's the Lord sound asleep in the boat. Okay, well, it was obviously nothing to him. In fact, when they woke him, he was actually unfazed. In the other Gospels, they wrote about it, and, and how could you not, right? Write about this particular situation. But it's stated in Mark and Matthew, when Jesus rebuked the storm, he said, peace, be still. And automatically the storm had stopped. And it's interesting that they spent a period of time with the Lord at this point to see him do some miraculous things, okay? Raising people from the dead, healing sick and leprosy. But this one caused them to question who he really was. Right? That even the weather does what he says. Well, David made known that God does just that in Psalm chapter 89, Christ said himself in John chapter 14, verse 9, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And I heard a saying, I heard a saying once, that if a man possesses enough power, he can speak softly and everyone will listen. Well, that was our Lord and then some. Because he spoke to the weather and it listened. And nobody has that ability. In the boat, it was a revealing a revealing of who Christ was, a revealing in his, um, a revealing in man's lack of faith. Okay, so if if, if we we were to be honest, I, I'm sure we would have thought the same thing if we were in that boat. We're all going to die. We'd flip out. I've seen some people preach a big game in faith, 
But then they have showed the other side when the storm had hit their life. And we can pray for strength and faith. See, God controlled the history of the world. Why can't he control our personal destinies? He proved that nothing is impossible when he is involved. We just need to make sure we're in his will. And by being in his will, we will experience being in his graces. And the disciples, you know, they found that out firsthand. So let's continue here as we do some more reading in, in verses 26 to uh, 39. Got uh, some larger uh, verses to cover here. As it says, Then they sailed to the country, to the uh, Gadarenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when he stepped out into the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him. And he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and, and the herd ran violently down to the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also had seen and told them by what means he, uh, he who had been demon-possessed was healed. The whole multitude of the surrounding region of the uh, Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might uh, be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. This was the well-known story of the demon-possessed man. Uh, uh, there, not too many other accounts gave the detail of uh, demon-possessed as this account does. Uh, the Lord's timing and choosing of a place to visit, again, was just perfect. He goes across the Sea of Galilee, uh, southeast, to what was called uh, Decapolis. Okay, so which, uh, this area was called Decapolis, which means the ten cities in Greek. And this was known as the ten Greek cities. And this demon-possessed man automatically ran up to Jesus and begged him not to torment him. You know, I found it interesting to hear, <laughs> to hear the request of this powerful demonic spirit named Legion. You know, a legion would normally number around three to 6,000 men uh, within a Roman army. So we don't know exactly how many uh, of these demonic spirits there were, but typically a legion would range from between that many people. Uh, but here is this young man who was the target of a possession. 
And this was a, a man who was somebody's son. He was probably somebody's brother who was hurting himself in torment by the control of this demon. And yet he runs to Jesus and he says, what have I to do with you? Are you here to torment me? <laughs> we, we see that even they have a, a self-servant demeanor. I beg of you not to torment me. See, they know they're in trouble one day, as it states in the book of Revelation chapter 9. And, and some would ask, why didn't the Lord destroy them on the spot? Well, the time has not yet come, is the closest answer. They thought it was when they had seen him. And, and what's interesting too, as for the pigs and their owners, they were upset by what happened because their livelihood jumped off a cliff. You know, many like to brag about bringing home the bacon. Well, they couldn't brag about that now, so they, they tell Jesus to go back to where he came. Amazing, is it not? But this man who was possessed begged Jesus to let him come with him. But Jesus had a special purpose for him. You know, we're not sure how long he was possessed for, but probably long enough for the town to know as he lived in the caves screaming all the time, making his existence known to those passing by. You know, he was asked to, Jesus asked him to stay there and to plant some seeds. And over a period of years in this region, this Gentile region, Christ was known. Christian believers were in this area shortly after. Now, one would have to wonder how much influence did he have in that, this, this young man, right? What a life-changing event, from demon possession to devout follower and proclaimer of Christ. You know, the demons begged to release them into pigs, just to run and destroy them, uh, run and destroy, right? The man begged Christ to follow him, to be with him, because he saved him, saved him both physically and spiritually as well. But again, we could see this, this self-serving this, this self demeanor of even demonic spirits who were harming this young man. This was somebody's son. This was somebody's brother. We don't know his background, but they do that. They inhabit people for whatever cause that they see fit. And yet they had the audacity to say such a thing to the Lord when they approached, Are you here to torment us? We beg of you not to. And here is this young man cutting himself, screaming in the caves while they have to shackle him. And he kept breaking the chains and so on and so forth because of the power that he was possessed by. But yet they, they asked that particular question. Are you here to torment us? We beg of you. Do you see the power in the deity of who our Lord is? That even a demon who was probably numbered in thousands were tormented. But yet they still had the audacity to ask such a question. Well, we could see that, the, again, <laughs> through them the trinity of darkness is me, myself, and I. And we cannot help but to really look at that and say, like, well, goodness, we could see now where we get our, our self-serving demeanors, right? The things we do to people and the things we are willing to do. And yet we want mercy on ourselves. We don't want to be bothered, right? We don't want to be uh, tormented even though we want to torment others. Well, that's not how our Lord works. He... he 
has a heart for all people. He knew where to go. He, he just decided to go over here to the Decapolis area, into this Gentile region, and, and, and here he is, right there, at the right place at the right time. How amazing is our Lord, right? Well, let's continue to see his amazement as we, as we watch closely. Look at verse 40 to 48. It says, So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had only a daughter about twelve years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for twelve years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But when Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I have perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she had not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. And she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You know, what a lot to take in as the Lord is on the move here. You know, so many are in great need. We have this synagogue leader falling at the feet of Jesus for help. And, you know, most synagogue leaders opposed Christ. But even this leader, like the unlikely person in the Roman centurion, was able to humble himself, and the Lord willingly and joyfully came. Because there was a Roman centurion in other chapters who went through the same thing with a servant, whose servant was, was very sick, and the, and the servant told the Lord, you know, my home is not even worthy for you to step foot into, so if you just say the word, he will be healed right here on the spot. And Jesus was so astounded by him that he said, I have not seen such faith in all of the land. Go back home, he's going to be perfectly fine. But see, in the rare disease department... We had this uh, a woman with a flow of blood, you know, and for 12 years. And what this was was constant, uh, constant uh, menstrual bleeding that could not be helped. She spent all of her money on doctors and, and nothing could be done. Now, I'm sure it was known that, you know, Luke was a physician who was there uh, following Christ. I'm not sure of his reputation as a doctor, whether he was a really good one, we don't know. But Luke was Greek and most likely trained at some of the best medical schools, which were in Greek and Roman territories. She didn't name Luke. She didn't ask for Luke. But she had seen the world's greatest physician on a crowded street. In the majority of healings written, you know, people normally ran up to him and begged, simply, you know, she simply said to herself, if I can just touch his garment, that's all I'll need. And for 12 years, she didn't just suffer a medical condition, but she would have suffered from spiritual and marital conditions as well. You know, she would be considered unclean and untouchable by the law of Levitical doctrine. 
A woman could not be touched by her husband, even right, even by her own husband. There would have to be a ceremonial cleansing every time. And this woman had a constant flow. You know, someone sees her on a street, people would be crossing to the other side real quick. She would have been an outcast everywhere. Well, that was until now. You know, she was hiding because women didn't touch other men or their garments. So this sounds like a, a busy setting, okay? We could take a look, uh, uh, we could almost picture like the settings of Manhattan, New York, or, or uh, London, you know, where people are walking in multitudes past other people. And then it'd be like somebody saying, well, who touched me? All right, who touched me would have been impossible to know. But Jesus did. I've always said there's two things that just seem to tickle the Lord and joy. And, and those two things are obedience and faith. You know, her touch to the Lord got his attention. He said, I felt power leave my body. And, and when someone takes a plug and connects it into the power source, you believe and expect the light to come on. Well, for her, it did. See, after he healed her, he called her daughter. <laughs> we, we didn't see him call too many of that in the scriptures, or, or any of that at all for that matter, because of her faith, it healed her and led her to a relationship as he referred to her as a daughter. You see, many are curious about the Lord. But those who reach out in faith, knowing that his mercy will bring healing to us, is a pleasing thing. His reactions to those faithful in him are absolutely priceless. He has always been astonished and, and pleased with the faith of people. And, and we see that even though it's obvious that people came up to him in need of something... And he still constantly gave to them. But we see the difference in his demeanor for those who actually, who actually observed and showed a true faith. He really seemed to have been overly joyous by that compared to anything else we've seen. Because our Lord, again, has the, the greatest and most perfect heart. And as we continue, we're going to look at verse 49 to 56. And it says, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. And when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James and John and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. And then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And that's the end of chapter 8 of our part 2. See, our Lord is amazing, as I continue to say, right? Healing sick, raising the dead, you know, and, and raising the dead as easy as healing somebody by simply speaking the word. 
You know, as I mentioned the things that pleased the Lord, and those were, were faith and obedience, those kept outside were the doubters who ridiculed him. Okay, these were, in, in the other Gospels, it, it stated that these were actually professional mourners. These were people who could start crying in a matter of seconds, and it was a profession. They were paid to do this. Uh, the other Gospels stated that when Jesus said that she was asleep, the mourners actually started laughing out loud, showing that they stopped crying and broke into laughter. Now, I wish I could have seen their faces after they'd seen her live. I think they would have, um, I think they would have changed their little uh, tune real quick. But, but more than the mourners, I would rather see the, the parents' faces, the, the look of joy and astonishment. Many probably thought, who is this that can raise the dead by simply speaking the word? Well, he told people that if you have seen me again, you have seen the Father. And there you have it. Once again, it's been said. <laughs> he, he knew all things. He instructed the parents to, ta- to make sure, hey, give her something to eat, right? Because most likely uh, to help her with the shock and to regain her physical strength. Because this wasn't his first raising of the dead. He knew the human body the, uh, and the spirit and the mind. So the Lord knows everything. But he instructed the, the parents not to say anything. Why? Because the Lord was not just simply there to be a miracle worker. After all, it's, it's easy to get what you need and then walk away after, right? He never turned away anyone from healing. But he was also there to heal broken lives. And to deliver people's souls into the kingdom of God. Which is where he wants everyone to be. But Jesus, you know, again, he dealt with all the needs. Not just the healing and miracles, but everything. As he came down, he proved that we were everything to him. And what a difference we would see around uh, us if, if he was everything to us. It's amazing what everything is to someone, okay? And I've, I've heard that someone say that they are my everything. This person is my everything. Uh, possessions are someone's everything. These everythings to us are things that fade, that disappear. But you see, Christ is eternal. He never fades. So why not make him our everything? And as always, at the end of every sermon, of every chapter, I give the opportunity to receive him as Lord and Savior. Maybe someone did at some point. Maybe you got lost somewhere. Well, here's the way back. Whether you never received him or, or, or you did and want to come back, here is your chance. Here's your chance to, to come back into the light. Because we get sidetracked by certain things. We get sidetracked by trials that cause us to either draw a little closer or to draw a little farther from the Lord. Well, one of the hardest tests that I can basically attest to in, in that aspect is, is that trying to, to stay the course through the good and bad just as equally. Because we are tested at times. How will you be able to withstand? How will you be able to, to pray? How will you be able to stay close to the Lord when you're going through some hard times? I think it goes just as easy to say, 
the same thing for when we're going through really great times. We can easily fade away from the Lord because things are going well. We're not praying as much. We're not seeking Him as much because everything is just fine. We only want to seek Him when things are hard. Well, if there's a hard lesson I've learned, is that it doesn't work that way. Yes, He is there for us. Yes, he will. He wants us to cast our anxieties on him when things are going through through the darkest of times. But I want to make sure, from my own heart, I want to make sure that through the good times and through the bad, that I am still continuing to seek him in truth and, and, and in faith and in all things. But the most important thing is that he is within us. In order to enter the kingdom, you must receive him to be born again, is what he himself said in his Gospels. No one sees the Father except through me. Well, here's the chance. I want to give the opportunity, after hearing this message, to be a part of the one who died for your sins and mine. For the one who told his disciples that where I go... I go there to prepare a place for you because in my Father's house are many mansions. Who wouldn't want to see such a thing? I go there to prepare a place for you. Well, by receiving Him, you're going to have that same exact thing. A place is being prepared for you in eternity. So if you want, to, if you want our Lord, and if you want to be saved by grace and mercy... Then repeat this prayer after me to receive him into your heart. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me of all of my sins. I confess to you that I am a sinner. And Lord, I ask of you to receive me, Lord. As I receive you into my heart, may you receive me, Father, when my time is up. I thank you for washing away my sins, Lord. And for dying on the cross for me. As Lord, as I receive you now as Lord and Savior. And I thank you for having me, Father Lord, as your child. I love you, I praise you, and I receive you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, again, what a blessed stories that we got to see here in this chapter 8 and the finishing of such. Watch closely. Remember, listen closely. Watch closely. Because he's, he's there. He's watching us closely. He's listening to us closely. And he wants to be with us. So may we want to be with him more and more each day. So may you seek him always. And hold on tight to him. May God bless you.